It's the Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. July 28th. 200 years ago today, July 28th, 1821, the Argentine general José de Saint-Martin, having seized controls of part of Lima, declared the independence of Peru from Spain. So happy bicentenary of that historic day to our Peruvian listeners. We do have a few. It is midday in Lima, 1 p.m. North American Eastern Time, 2 p.m., in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 2.30 p.m. in Newfoundland and Labrador, 6 p.m. in London, 7 in Paris, 8 in Jerusalem, 9 p.m. in the Trucial States, 9.30 in Tehran, 10.45 in Kathmandu. And a fairly hellish hour for our listeners in the Pacific. We are live around the world with another one of our combined Mark Stein shows and Clubland Q&As. So it's like one of those COVID double mutations uh, that is particularly vicious. It's one of those things you can only cook up in a uh, lavishly US-funded Chinese gain-of-function land. That's how toxic this particular combination is going to take some of your questions and then going to do a few of our regular uh, Mark Stein show features. Uh, Scott, uh, you, by the way, uh, anyone on the planet, all 7 billion people on the planet can listen to the show and many of them may already be doing so because I was number one in the uh, uh, American cable news ad demo on Monday night when I guest hosted for Tucker. I had the highest share in prime time, fifty-seven uh, percent versus that loser Anderson Cooper. I think he was at eighteen uh, percent. What a loser that guy is! He's he can't even beat a Canadian dilettante. Anderson Cooper, eighteen percent, and some fella who just uh, strolled in uh, from across the shuttered northern border uh, gets uh, gets whatever it was, fifty-seven per fifty-seven percent. So we may I uh, may be doing even better today, and we may have all seven billion people on the planet listening. Anyone can listen. Uh, to ask a question, you just have to be a Mark Stein Club member. Uh, and uh, if you don't want to join, that's no problem. If you do want to join, uh, do it now and uh, we'll make sure to shunt your question to the head of the line. Scott Scherzer says, uh, Scott's in Miami Beach, uh, which is in Florida. And he says, dear Mark, I hear pundits constantly refer to America as a center-right country. Yeah. <laughs> That's a favorite line of uh, National Review and Co. Every time the Republicans lose an election, but it, oh, this remains a centre-right country. Uh, it's one of the grand consolations. It's like the little blankie that uh, that uh, National Review editorialists curl up and go to bed with after losing an election. I hear pundits constantly refer to America as a centre-right country. I ask you, would a populace on the centre-right? allow themselves to be bullied into mask-wearing for over a year and a half with no end in sight? Would they countenance the entry of over 20 million illegal immigrants and counting? Would they still respect a legal system that enforced a different set of rules depending on where you stand politically? We have become a society that no longer values free will and are happy to be told how to live by our betters. Is there any real chance that this will change before it's too late? presuming it isn't already 
too late. Well, uh, first of all, Scott, uh, the term centre-right is a really stupid expression because obviously it depends where the centre is and the centre is moving. <laughs> the centre is moving to the left daily. And therefore, to be uh, to be centre right, I used to have a, a joke about this about the Austrian uh, elections before the populist guys uh, became players. But up till whatever it was, fifteen years ago, Austrian elections, there was a left of centre party, and there was an ever so slightly right of left of centre uh, party, and it didn't really make much difference which one you voted for because they'd govern in coalition anyway. And it's possible to say that this is a centre-right country only because so many things... Uh, if you take the centre... For example, if you just take the centre as being where the political establishment governing the land is and the people who govern this land, so if you take the educators... not So if you take not just the government bureaucracy, but you take the educators, you take the mainstream media, you take the people who make your TV shows and movies, you take the mainline churches... Obviously, the country is to the right of that centre, if only because, uh, and this is where it's, it's not possible for an informed person not to utterly despise the Republican Party, because we, we're talking about issues here that have tremendous bipartisan... You, just to take the ones you've, some, you've mentioned, you mentioned uh, letting in illegal immigrants. Now, we're living in the illegal immigrants uh, during a pandemic, which is taking it to the next level. So they're just reminding you, the governing class is just reminding you daily of their contempt for you. Oh, yes, I know you were, an, you were a good little boy and you went and got uh, vaccinated and that's super duper. And yes, don't worry, the vaccine works, but you're going to be wearing a mask again forever. Uh, but all these people just in the skiffs coming across the Rio Grande uh, we don't know anything about their COVID status. And when we test it, it appears to be three times what the COVID infection rate was in New York just before they locked down the entire city. Uh, so it's about three times. but And that was very serious. So we had to lock down Manhattan, kill it, destroy it, ruin a great city. Um, and these guys just coming in in the skiffs across the Rio Grande have got three times the infection rate, but we're just going to fly them all over the country so that if you're in the middle of, say, uh, rural Vermont and you've got uh, one of the lowest infection rates in the country, we're sending you a population with an 8 9% COVID infection rate just so you can enjoy the thrill of a super spreader event again. Now, this is... Immigration as a whole is an issue where uh, there's bipartisan support for enforcing the by American citizens. Remember, America used to be a country that had citizenship and that citizenship had value. Citizenship has now been dissolved now. And, uh, and uh, that citizenship had value and uh, there's bipartisan support among the people uh, for enforcing the immigration laws of the United States. Unfortunately, one and a half of America's two political parties are opposed to it. So this just goes on and on uh, uh, and, uh, and on. And obviously, if that is the centre, uh, Scott, American 
uh, Americans as a whole are to the right of that. But there is no, po- they have no political representation. We're just, to- we have something ridiculous now. If you're an American citizen, right, you got an American passport and you fly in to JFK or O'Hare or LAX, even though as an American, I haven't looked this up, but I know, uh, for example, in, in, in Canada, a Canadian cannot be denied entry into his own country. A Frenchman cannot be denied entry into France. In, in uh, uh, America, you're a U.S. citizen. You can't be denied entry. But uh, in, if you land at LAX or JFK, you have to produce evidence that you're doubly vaccinated by a, with a vaccine approved by the United States. And you also have to have a sworn declaration, not just the paperwork for the vaccine, but a sworn declaration that you've been doubly vaccinated. That's if you make the mistake of becoming a United States citizen. If you're not a citizen and you just take your flat-bottom boat over the Rio Grande, you can have every pore on your face an oozing pustule of contagion, and they will just escort you in and put you up at the, uh, the, the nearest Grand Hyatt. And Americans put up with it. So it doesn't really matter whether you're centre-right or centre-left or centre-ever-so-slightly-right-of-left-of-centre, because no self-respecting uh, citizenry would put up with being treated like that by their government. And yet the majority of people, whatever their political inclinations do. Thank you very much for that question, Scott. We're taken. A lot of your uh, questions live today, and we are also doing some of our regular Mark Stein show. <laughs> Mark Stein—that's <laughs> I'll tell you why I'm against mask wearing. Every time I have to wear a mask on a long haul flight, uh, I always come back with a terrible dry mouth and an inability to speak coherently. Uh, for a few days afterwards. So uh, it's the Mark Stein Show. We've got a couple of our regular features and lots of your questions still to come. More of them imminently, but first... Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. <laughs> and this feature, this feature is slow to warm up, so uh, let's try that again. OK, I'll take another question and we'll figure out uh, what's happening. That went well. You can tell it's live. You can tell it's live because uh, normally when I do this show on tape, we have to rehearse for a couple of days for a uh, crackerjack intro like that. Okay, let's see what else we got. Uh, Robert Morell writes, Hi, Mark. You have remarked many times on the over-credentialization of American society. A related problem, I think, is the too high premium we place on intelligence. This is especially evident in our malfunctioning justice system. We have a system in which the most intelligent lawyers aspire to the highest judicial offices where they then must somehow justify or display their great intelligence, finding ever more subtle shadings of penumbrae. Uh, But uh, justice is not about intelligence. It has more to do with common sense and wisdom, very different things than intelligence, and the faculty to detect BS. So what would you think of my modest proposal? No more lawyers in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court should be composed of people who are knowledgeable of the law, to be sure, but more importantly, they should be skilled in rhetoric and logic and have a healthy disdain for lawyers and their convoluted BS arguments. I nominate used car salesmen and real estate agents. Such people also 
have the merit of almost certainly having been party to a lawsuit at least once in their lifetimes. And as you know, being sued means that you have several years of experience in the judicial system. Can't be worse than the present system, can it? Says Robert Morell or Robert uh, Morell. Uh, you know, I had this actually in upstate New York uh, in traffic court where the judge was in fact a driver's ed uh, guy. He wasn't a lawyer. Uh, he wasn't a, uh, a, a judge proper. He'd just been elected on the basis that he was a tremendous uh, driver ed guy at the local high school. And I couldn't honestly say he was the greatest judge I've ever been up against, although I did win that case. So uh, I certainly uh, I certainly put it over that guy. I... I Here's the problem. America America has a unique problem with this because to be a judge... Oh, okay. So we had... We've heard the intro to the thing, but we haven't... I'm not getting it in my headphones. Is that correct? Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> OK, Fiasco Central here today. We will try and uh, and, and come, come back. I tell you what, I tell you what, just point your finger at me when the signature tunes ended. I'm going to cue that in again and then you point your finger at me. Uh, not, not you, not you listening in the jungles of New Guinea. You can go back to headhunting while listening on your earbuds. Uh, that, that was just a message for the gentleman behind uh, the glass. But I want to finish up with Robert's question. Here's the, here's the problem here. America has more bad has more lawyers than anywhere than the rest of the planet combined that's conrad black's great line that he keeps using and it's true uh, so if you're a, a barrister in Tuvalu, that's an accomplishment. It's a difficult accomplishment. And uh, and you should feel quite proud of yourself if you have become a member of the bar. But if you have the United States where, for example, the city of Hartford, Connecticut, has more lawyers uh, than uh, England and Wales have solicitors, then obviously you don't just have as many lawyers as the rest of the planet combined. You have more bad, bad lawyers than the rest of the planet combined. And I will say that as someone who's had some very good lawyers and has had some very bad lawyers and who also notes that in criminal cases, Michael Avenatti, the lousy... Uh, creepy porn lawyer, uh, as Tucker calls him, who was Stormy Daniels' lawyer and was peddling those stories about Brett Kavanaugh being the gang rape guy, and uh, uh, and putting a drug, doing a pulling a Cosby and putting it in the punch at uh, high school parties in the 1980s. All complete rubbish. But CNN took him seriously as a presidential candidate. He's now lost one case. He's headed to jail. He's got another criminal case in which he's currently representing himself. And the judge is saying, well, why are you doing this? You're just a civil lawyer. You represent uh, Stormy Daniels in her case against the president. And you have no real experience of criminal law. Well, the only poll that's ever been commissioned on this subject uh, shows that, in fact, unrepresented defendants beat the rap at a higher rate uh, than they do when they have these crappy court-appointed lawyers or the whichever third-rate criminal defence attorney they happen to be able to afford. So in actual fact, Michael Avenatti, 
uh, not being a criminal defence lawyer, has improved his odds of beating the rap in this second case by defending himself. So I'm, I'm, uh, this veneration of lawyers, I've, I've summed it up, this veneration of the Supreme Court. You know, no one seriously thinks that Eleanor Kagan is a crackerjack jurist. You know, what was the line I used? Uh, Americans threw off one guy in ermine to uh, prostrate themselves before nine guys in basic black. I agree with you. I think I think I don't see that you should have to be a judge, uh, have to be a lawyer to become a judge. That would be an excellent thing, Robert. There's a little chance of it happening though, because they've actually abolished the right of people to. Uh, appear uh, on their own behalf at the Supreme Court. In other words, the Supreme Court uh, doesn't want to have any defendant representing himself there, You've just, or appellant representing himself there. You've, you've got a lawyer up uh, for that. Anyway, we're going to uh, try uh, this again. Uh, bear in mind, I can't hear anything in my ears, so if what I say seems completely unrelated to anything going out on air, it's, it's not my fault. I'm not hopped up on drugs as I usually am. I usually quit them about 40 minutes before I go on air. We'll take more of your questions imminently, but first. Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. Oh, I do love that signature tune. Uh, ever since the lockdowns got going, our Brit wanker coppers have been mostly English wanker coppers, and indeed mostly from Sir Robert Peel's uh, sadly degraded Metropolitan Police. But occasionally, with respect to wanker coppers, uh, we like to define British as expansively as the 1948 British Nationality Act does and take it for a stroll around the Commonwealth. And so today we're going to go the full Sir Robert Menzies, longest-serving Australian Prime Prime Minister and his famous declaration that he was British to his bootstraps. And when it comes to being wanker coppers, the Western Australia police are certainly British to their policemen's boots. Rob Mort, uh, one of our Stein clubbers from Down Under, sent me this story. Rohan Lee was enjoying a beverage in the cafeteria at Caratha Airport. That's about a thousand miles north of Perth, if you know uh, Western Australia. Uh, when two of Her Majesty's wanker constabulary approached him. Now, as you'll hear, Mr Lee said quite truthfully that he had a mask exemption. However, as the judges say, it was not necessary to reach that particular point because Mr Lee was having a beer. And even in Australia, even after a year and a half of crazy lockdowns, one is permitted to be unmasked for the sipping of liquids in public places. Here's how it went. What's that from? What's it from? Yeah, why have you got an exemption? Or who's given it to you? A doctor's given it to me, mate. Do you have a doctor's note or something there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is. Why does it matter what I need to give it to you for? We can have one of those, though. Nice filming. Just come with us and we'll have a chat about outside. Outside? Yeah. Why outside? Why can't we chat about it here? No, we'll talk about outside. Can we chat about it here? You're not going to play the game, are you? What game? I'm not playing any games. I've got a medical issue. So you just want to film us, you just want to cause a hindrance? Is that I'm not causing a hindrance. I'm sitting here minding my own business and you're coming here harassing me. We're not harassing you. We've been told that you don't have a, a mask. I've got a mask exemption right here. That, that means nothing. Hey? That means nothing. 
Why does it mean nothing? I've just told you that I have it from a doctor. Shelter. Why do I need a shelter? Mate, you're going to have to leave. We'll, we'll take you outside. Don't touch me. Sorry? Please don't touch me. We're going to take you outside. I'm sitting here minding my own business. Please don't touch me. Have I, I touched you? Aren't you supposed to have be I touched five you? metres away? You're coming close to me. You've got guns on you. You've got tasers. You've got weapons. Why are you trying to intimidate me? You're not trying to intimidate me. Mate, you're going to leave the airport right now. Let's go. Let's go. Don't touch my seat. Why are you touching my seat? Come on, fellas. He's got an exemption, mate. I've got an exemption. I've got a show medical us, issue. Show us the exemption. I've got a medical issue. Show us What's the your name? Show us the exemption. What's your name? You can read. 10730 Dale Harmer, and what's your name, please? 16566 16566 Lee. Okay. So what are you saying? You're saying I'm a liar, that I don't have a medical exemption? I didn't say it. Well, then why are you harassing me for? I'm asking for I've it. told you that I've got one. Shot you. Why? Because I've asked for it. Well, Asian, it's a private issue between me and my GP. You're just going to show us that you've got an exemption. Why do, why do I, I tell need... you what's wrong with it. How do you know? Have you read it? Is, it, is that what it does? Potentially. I'm not playing a game, I'm sitting here minding my own business and you've come here and harassed me. Alright, I'm going to ask you to leave the airport. Alright, you have to wear a mask in the airport. Well, as you can hear, because he refused to play the game, as the wanker policeman put it, the situation escalated, so they dragged him outside, called his doctor and demanded uh, supposedly confidential medical information on Mr Lee. This is a uh, new aspect of life now. Supposedly confidential medical information uh, has to be shared with the state upon demand. The doctor confirmed that Mr Lee is unable to wear a face mask because of uh, health issues. Is that enough for you guys, Mr Lee asked the coppers. No, mate, no, said the second officer. You've been belligerent to us. Oh, yeah, being belligerent to a copper. Uh, I've got to fear you'll be belligerent to people on the plane, he continued. So they got him booted from the flight, asked what he was being charged with. The coppers told him, we'll let you know when we make that decision. <laughs> and then they fined him $1,000 uh, for breaking whatever law he hadn't yet been charged with. What were those names again? Uh, Officer Dale Hummer. And Officer 16526 Lee, these men uh, do not seem to me psychologically suited to policing, at least as Sir Robert Peel regarded it. But of course, they're admirably suited for the land of permanent lockdown where call liberties exist only at the ever more capricious and conditional discretion of the state. There is no public health justification for Hummer and Lee's behaviour. And so it is that the Western Australian uh, constabulary, I believe this is for the worst, for the first time. Uh, for Western Australia, the Western, which is the biggest police jurisdiction in the world, I believe, geographically, the Western Australia Constabulary claim their first wanker copper title. And really, these guys are so obnoxious uh, that I think they've earned the full mega wanker. Who's the wanker? Who's the wanker? Who's the wanker in the blue hat? Who's the wanker in the big blue hat? Wanker, wanker, wanker. OK, uh, Canada, New Zealand, <laughs> any other of Her Majesty's realms, you've got to beat that. This is the, this is the way it is now. There is abs the mask is a permanent feature 
of Western life. And again, I say the central issue is this. We're supposed to put up with this because it's a threat on the same threat as, a, uh, as war. So we're taking measures that free societies do not take except in wartime. Except the difference between this and a war is that instead of taking it to the enemy, we're only taking it to ourselves. Our rulers don't want to wage war on, on the enemy. Uh, the leading power in the Western world hasn't won a war in 75 years and has no plans on learning how to win a war. The worst, most incompetent, most lavishly funded general staff on the planet uh, give testimony in congressional hearings just boasting of their wokeness. There were no how to win a war. China is confident it can take over the world without winning a war because it knows uh, those idiots in the Pentagon with their stupid rooms uh, full of uh, full of guys still wargaming out tank battles on the East German plain against an enemy that no longer exists. Those guys have no clue how to win. So we take a war. We have war measures in a war we're taking to our own people. Meanwhile, the party town of the planet, do you ever look at any just Google YouTube video from Wuhan, home of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where this thing came from, uh, home of, uh, you know, China's number one bio-warfare centre. It's party central there. Every time you Google for any little video from Wuhan, there's hip, young, beautiful people all dancing to techno music uh, in some beautiful swimming pool, all in bikinis, non-social distancing, no masks. The party town of the planet, Wuhan. Let's go back to your questions. Walt Trimmer asks, which do you think is the most important existential threat? Decoupling with China, uh, starting with pharmaceuticals, microchips and strategic manufacturing, reigning in big tech tyranny. My uh, eyesight is getting so bad that um, uh, for a moment I read that as reigning in big tech tranny. <laughs> that would be a very dangerous alliance, Walt. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. And, uh, and then Walt says, restoring a functioning southern border. Um, all three, it should be, you should be capable of walking, uh, chewing gum and picking your nose at the same time so that all three should actually be things we should be doing. Um, clearly, you know, we have a government and we have an opposition in, in the so-called Republican Party that isn't seriously interested about any of those things. China's won. We can't go to war. I said just a moment ago, you know, suppose we go to war against China. We can't go to war against China when they make all the aspirins, um, when they make all the suppositories, uh, because 48 hours into the war, all our crack fighter pilots will have itchy bottoms and massive headaches. Uh, and so they won't be able. So if you think Afghanistan went badly... Uh, I'd be very surprised if any war with China manages to stretch out uh, for 20 years. The only time we talked about it was for a brief moment last spring before all the George Floyd stuff started, and we're not talking about it. China's won. And this is where D Douglas Murray talked about... Uh, he said the uh, he and Tucker were talk talking about the ignorance of Americans uh, on... Uh, some of these issues. And Douglas said 
The ignorance of Americans is heroic, and he and Tucker chortled about it back and forth, and uh, there were some people who complained about that. But there is no doubt, you know, that uh, framing things principally as domestic issues when they're international issues doesn't help. You know, I find, I've said this before, I'm not interested in American football or American baseball or, you know, so I'm polite about it. If I'm in a car and the guy says, how about them socks? I'll fake some conversation uh, for the for the next five or ten minutes. But a lot of politics here is just rooting for your team. I got caught up in Tucker's Twitter feed because I was guest hosting for him after this guy came up to him in the fly shop in Montana. And I was just reading all the stuff, and a lot of it, you know, most people are just making uh, puns about uh, bowel movements and the like. It's not really worth spending any time on Twitter when something becomes really big like that. It's rather a boring place to be. Um, but it, uh, as I was reading on, I just thought that on the left, it's this is just, you know, you wouldn't do this. If, if sports were more interesting, if it was as interesting as watching Fiji in the Rugby Sevens, People would pick uh, an entertaining... They'd be saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to beat up on Tucker Carlson on Twitter because I'm too busy tweeting about the fantastic uh, Rugby Sevens the, with the Fijian team. Uh, because I think it's as banal as that. It's just like once you decide your team... Uh, and particularly at a time when things like uh, other uh, group identifiers, such as nationhood, have been weakened, I think people, I think people just root for it as their team. The other, the other reason, too, I think, is the absence. Since the West has become secular, you need a transcendent meaning in life. And if there's no religion, and the mainline churches are frankly so awful at, at, at evangelizing for themselves, there's no surprise they're dying. People will look elsewhere for something to give transcendent meaning to their life. And, and obviously that includes climate change. But it's really hard to get excited about, you know, the Maldives uh, being underwater in the year 2140 because uh, you're not going to be around then. You want something more imminent. And I think the danger of this whole COVID regime is that to some people it's given them it's 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 given them the transcendent meaning of a religion and it's given them in fact the existential crisis of a war but without without requiring any of the measures to defeat the existential uh, crisis i think that's that's the the i think that's the problem there i do think decoupling with china is absolutely essential but i also think you know Again, this restoring a, a functioning southern border is about the bifurcation of. I, t I keep I talk a lot about the bifurcation of society. Some people they have no laws imposed on them. Other people they have uh, they are micro regulated up the wazoo, and occasionally you'll see you'll see it. The difference between someone who attacks a policeman at a BLM riot and someone who attacks a policeman. Uh, on January the 6th, the difference in treatment. The BLM guy, uh, he's in jail, you know, for a few hours in the small hours of the morning, and then he's sprung from jail by a bail, if he requires bail, that's paid by a Hollywood celebrity or a Kamala Harris staffer. 
Uh, the guy who does the same thing, or in fact, very much less than the same thing on January the 6th, is in solitary confinement for six months and counting. There's no equality before the law. Then two borders... The difference in treatment between a law-abiding U.S. citizen arriving at uh, Logan Airport in Boston and the people on the southern border is so obvious you'd think even uh, even uh, the most even people who are most parochial about their news and interests would grasp that. And again, the China, the point about the point, the central point about the COVID thing is that it was unleashed on the world by a hostile foreign government. A hostile foreign government, by the way, that happens to be funded by Fauci and the useless United States government. But it would be so much healthier if we stopped just rooting for, you know, the Democrat Red Sox versus the Republican White Sox, because that's really all the difference. They're sports teams that are equally crap but just of different coloured socks, uh, the, if we were to stop doing that and have a ser- and recognise seriously that America's geopolitical moment is over and, you're not e- and most Americans aren't even aware of it. They're thinking, oh, yeah, Ch- China, is that, that, that's that funny country far away. Uh, is that the one where they like karaoke? No, that's the other Yellow peril. That's the 1980s yellow peril, as they used to say. You know, for God's sake, you know, there's no equivalent to a uh, to a transfer of global dominance like this, where the losing guy isn't even aware of it. And as for big tech, big tech tranny, I nearly, nearly did it again. These guys are in alliance with the hostile foreign power. All these people are in the... There's nothing nice about any of that. You know, essentially, most Democrats think they're Democrats because they're nice. And then they switch on Tucker and Tucker's talking about unpleasant things like demographic uh, replacement or whatever, and that all sounds not nice. And uh, the fact is that what's going on at the southern border isn't nice. It's bringing in the fentanyl that kills your neighbours. And you might think, well, it just kills the low-class, low-grade neighbours. Okay, well, it, it, it's often it's killing the people that you need to shingle your roof or to uh, unplug your toilet. So sooner or later, these things will affect you. They'll affect you. And it's not in the least bit nice. There's nothing nice about uh, a government, the most powerful government on the planet, letting fentanyl importers bring it all in with impunity, and there's nothing li- uh, nice about letting them bring in child sex slaves, for God's sake, you decadent, debauched, out-of-it loser left. What's nice about that? You know, sex trafficking, and trafficking, as we've discussed on this show before, is actually just slavery. So it's new slavery. You know, you didn't like slavery. You've got your 1619 project. Oh, that brought in the first slave. You're bringing in... You don't have to take an interest in history. You're bringing in slaves right now and you don't give a crap about it. Not a crap about it. It's all fake. All fake. Fake, fake, fake. Uh, All the way down. Jeff Johnson writes, Mark, I am one of the unvaccinated deplorables. How am I to take the Wu flu and getting vaccinated seriously when our government allows scores of thousands of infected 
illegal aliens to freely roam the country. It's not scores of thousands, Jeff. It's over a million since Biden took office. Uh, would the what is a score of thousands? I suppose tens of thousands. Anyway, a million. It's over a million. Uh, freely roam the country, spreading this Chinese-manufactured disease, thus precipitating the pending mask mandates and forced vaccinations. I will make Biden a deal. I will get the jab if and only when your government completely closes and seals the border. You know, the, 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 the whole point about the vaccine... I mean, some people have a bad reaction to it. I've known people who have a bad reaction to it. Uh, Brian Kilmeade was talking about a friend of his, two kids. Uh, one handled the vaccine OK. The other hasn't been right, uh, has had heart difficulties ever since ever since taking it. So there's, there's genuine concern, particularly if you're under, what, 40 and you're healthy and you don't need to take it. But the point about the main benefit to taking the vaccine was not the benefit that you would consider when you're getting your flu shot or when you're getting uh, your um, smallpox jab or whatever. The main benefit to getting the vaccine this time round was you'd get your life back. You'd get your life back. Uh, so it's very, it seems to me, self-defeating to say, well, uh, the vaccines work. They're tremendous. They're absolutely amazing. But... Uh, even if you do get the vaccine, you're still going to have to go around wearing a mask. And for sealing the border, nobody asks that. There's nobody at the border. The border isn't even being covered on most so-called American news networks because it looks bad. It's simply not there. The only guy I know, I asked Bill Malusian this on Fox the other night. I said, do you ever see any of your other fellow network correspondents down on he's the only guy there he's what he's counted bill has counted he's a good reporter he's talked to all these people you think that the southern border of the united states borders mexico but he's down there he's talking to people from ghana he's talking to people from india he's talking to people from 150 countries he's counted up they've all some and that's and that's uh, three quarters of all the nations on earth that there are. Uh, so I would imagine that that's pretty much, if, if you exclude uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand and uh, continental Europe, he's basically met people from every other country. And that's, that's quite interesting, you'd think. We, we, we're told that this is some humanitarian crisis because uh, of America's economic interference in Latin America. That's the official position of Kamala uh, Harris. And, uh, and yet there are people coming from uh, the Gambia and there's people coming uh, from the Middle East and there's people... And, uh, and nobody cares. And if, you, if you're so uninterested, if you're so blindly partisan, because it is just the Democrat Red, Red Sox versus the Republican White Sox, if you're just that partisan, anything goes. And you, and you don't care. And you think it's a beautiful thing because you've been told that diversity is our strength, even though there's no historical evidence for that. In human history, even little bits of diversity, like uh, I mentioned Fiji, but if you, uh, between 
native Fijians and the Indians that uh, the British imported to be the mercantile class there. If you look at uh, uh, Ireland between Catholics and Protestants, if you if you look at uh, Serbs and Croats, if you look uh, anywhere, even little bits of diversity. Uh, can be problem can be problematic. Diversity is morally neutral, completely morally neutral. Um, but it's no, it's an organizing basis for society that has never been tried before. And oh, it's a beautiful thing. There's people from a hundred and fifty countries, all walking into America for this beautiful rainbow coalition, and soon all the old white people who watch Fox News, which isn't true, because as I just explained at the beginning of the show, no young person, by which I mean anybody under 54, watches Anderson Cooper because they're all watching me because I'm the voice of youth. I'm the voice of an alienated generation. By comparison with Rachel Maddow and Anderson and Anderson Cooper. And uh, so, so these uh, old white guys aren't going to be as dead as quickly as you think they're going to be. And it's not a good recipe. Oh, it's beautiful. Hundred people from 150 countries just endlessly coming in. Oh, and we just put them on buses. We take them to military bases. And the United States military, now that it's finished losing in Afghanistan, just jets them who knows where around the United States to live among you forever and ever. Thank you so much for that. That makes such good sense. Um, I'm, uh, the Olympic Games uh, are on uh, a year late. Uh, in uh, I forget where it is they're on. It's so boring. I mean, uh, uh, but what I was thinking about, does anyone still make Olympic theme songs anymore? Because they used to. Here's one uh, from the 1968 Olympics in Mexico. Different kind of Mexico in terms of its global image, not the kind of Mexico that's not sending us our best. This, this was a Mexico that the world found exotic and appealing and wanted to sing about. Long John Baldry is the vocalist here. He was an Englishman who moved to Canada, uh, Vancouver, I think. That's where I met him anyway. Um, and this particular, he was uh, an Englishman who moved to Canada. And this particular song is written by a Canadian who moved to England, John McLeod. Uh, he wrote it with the great Tony McCauley, the man who gave us Build Me Up Buttercup. And The Fifth Dimension's fabulous last night. I didn't get to sleep at all. That's a great song. And uh, Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes. That's not such a great song. Let's not bring that up. But uh, at any rate, here's uh, Tony and John as sung by Long John Baldry and their song for the 1968 Olympics. Just take my hand and come along with me there is so little time to spare There is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico so much to see in Mexico Take it from me, yeah, you're gonna see the greatest show 
sun in Mexico The love we had is just a shadow now Why did we ever drift apart? Let's get away and start again somehow Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico and so much to see in Mexico Take it from me, yeah, you're gonna see the greatest show Underneath the sun in Mexico The magic has begun in Mexico Underneath the sun in Mexico Underneath the sun in Mexico The magic has begun in Mexico Underneath the sun in Mexico The magic has begun in Mexico. <laughs> Long John Baldry. Underneath the stars, a million bars, guitars are softly playing. Believe it or not, that's how the world used to think of Mexico before it degenerated into a land of drug cartels and child sex slave traffickers. Michelle Dulac says, Hi, Mark, I wonder if you could comment on an aspect of the Texas Democrats' flight to D.C. that I haven't heard mentioned. Supposedly all 40-some people on the two chartered jets, none of them especially old or infirm to my eye, were vaccinated. But by the time they reached D.C., Ultimately, six were COVID positive. To me, that says that either the tests are hooey or that the breakthrough rate is alarmingly larger than it's been portrayed. One in seven or eight, that's far higher than anyone has suggested. Maybe both. Or, Michelle, it's a very good question there, but it's maybe thrice. Maybe they're false positives. You know, at a certain point, uh, because the virus does what it wants you to do. And the virus has been around the world now uh, since uh, China launched it on the world. And um, I forget who it was who said that, but I used to quote quite, quite a lot, and I think it's a very good way of putting it, is that regardless of what we do, the virus does what it's going to do. Because the masks don't uh, really work and uh, many of the other the social distance thing is apparently just something plucked out of some guy's butt from the late 19th century there's no real evidence for that none of it there's no real evidence for any of it uh, but we keep doing the same thing we keep it, it's I 
Uh, well, Garth Drabinsky. I, I mentioned Garth before because I think of his, his seems to be the model applied to every uh, aspect of life these days. He was given the uh, Canadian touring rights to Phantom of the Opera very generously by Cameron McIntosh, my dear friend. And uh, Garth made a lot of money for that and then decided he was the world's greatest theatre producer. And he kept producing flops that you may or may not remember from the 1990s, like Ragtime the Musical and Kiss of the Spider Woman uh, and all this kind of thing. And he had this business model that somehow if you had like 25 flops on the road, it was the equivalent to a hit. And that's basically the model for every area of public life now. So if you do 20 things that don't work, uh, the uh, they will work cumulatively. They will work against COVID, and and there's no evidence for this. But what we do know is that uh, around, I mean, for example, in India, I gather that two thirds of um, Indians now have the antibodies. A lot of people who don't even know they've been exposed to COVID, wandering around in the middle of nowhere, in the main woods, or in the Arizona desert. They've somehow managed to pick up COVID and recover from COVID without ever knowing about it. So there's all kinds of people who we're all just giving it back and forth. We have no particular symptoms. But if you test us uh, all the time, we're showing uh, we're showing COVID. We're showing up as COVID positive. I don't know what it means. This thing. I don't know whether it means the COVID tests are a joke or the vaccines are a joke, or the COVID status is a joke. But you know something? If we had just, after the initial wave of deaths swept through that we weren't ready for, the ones where the northern Italian papers, local papers, were running 32 pages of obituaries, you know, the, the COVID does what the COVID does. And it can be cruel and vicious, but it did it on a prominent enough scale for people who don't want to die to take the precautions, to reduce the number of people they see, uh, to take particular precautions if you have underlying conditions and everything. And I don't... And if you look at Germany with its mask mandates versus Sweden, where they've been relatively free, if you make any of these comparisons, it's all crap, it's all a waste of time. Uh, and if we just... And, and we could have had this thing kill just as many people but without destroying our economy, without driving children to suicide and without all the rest of it. Um, and uh, if it takes a super spreader event among Texas Democrats on some showboating flight to Washington uh, to get people thinking about that, so be it. It is 10 before 2 North American Eastern Time. Uh, that means, what do, we, what do we make it? It's 10 before 6 Greenwich Mean Time, if that's how you calculate your time zone out in the world. More of your questions imminently. Keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. The Afghans take the White House, the president takes to the mountains, and a dog takes insulin. It's July 1921. A hundred years from today. Your world news update. The messy aftermath of the Great War continues. What's left of Ottoman Turkey regards Constantinople as its capital. The new nationalist forces regard the city of Ankara, about 300 miles east, as their capital... 
but with Greek troops closing in, they have now been forced to abandon it for a third city of Sivas, another 300 miles east. Just days ago, Turks and Greeks fought a bitter battle at Skutaya that ended in a rout of Turkish forces. In Morocco, Spanish troops have suffered a humiliating defeat at Anwal at the hands of Rif tribesmen. King Alfonso XIII has cut short his holiday and returned to Madrid, according to the New York Times. Upon being advised to evacuate Anwal, His Majesty's commander in the region... General Manuel Fernandez Silvestre summoned his officers and said, quote, Gentlemen, the moment has come for each of us to do his last duty. As the Times reported, without adding a word, the general drew his revolver. All the other officers did the same. After shaking hands, they kissed one another and blew out their brains. Sun Yat-sen, having established what he calls the extraordinary government of China, has announced that he will set up an autonomous regime in Canton and has severed relations with the government at Peking in the north. The first National Congress of what is intended to be a Communist Party of China attracted 50 members to its initial meeting in Shanghai and then the gendarmes from the Shanghai French concession, decided to shut it down. The 50 Bolsheviks have been forced to move their meeting to a rented tourist boat on the South Lake in Chaxing. In Italy, some 500 fascists occupied the railway station at Sarzana in an attempt to secure the release of fascist prisoners. A battle ensued. The 500 were defeated by 12 carabinieri and some local fellows, but 18 Italians are dead. News from Germany. 30 tons of ammonium nitrate have exploded in the city of Crivold, killing 19 people. Ma! In America, it's Ma, he's making eyes at me. In Germany, it's Weimar, he's making eyes at you. A new political figure rising fast in that country. In the chaos that followed the collapse of the German Empire, Anton Drexler seemed to some the coming man. Two and a half years ago, he became chairman of what's now the National Socialist German Workers' Party. But he has lost that job and been replaced by a charismatic young man from Austria who had threatened to leave the party unless he were made leader. The members agreed overwhelmingly by a 533 to 1 vote to all his demands, including that the title of chairman be replaced by Führer, which is a German word meaning guide or leader or some such. The new Führer's name is Adolf Hitler. He is said to be a particularly lively public speaker. Might the solution to Europe's troubles be an economic union of a borderless continent? 
Across the western frontier of Germany, King Albert and Grand Duchess Charlotte have signed a treaty creating an economic union between Belgium and Luxembourg, abolishing border controls and setting the Belgian and Luxembourg francs at parity. But already there is talk that this new union could spread to the Netherlands and perhaps even beyond. For centuries... The Church of Scotland has insisted it is not an established church, but monarchs and parliaments have not always agreed. Now it's official. The Church of Scotland Act has been given royal assent by King George V and makes clear that while the Church of Scotland, like the Church of England, is a national church, it is completely independent of the state when it comes to doctrinal questions, clerical appointments and other spiritual matters. Afghanistan, the popular song, is a big hit in America. Afghanistan, the country, not so much. When Princess Fatima of the Afghan royal family arrived in Washington, she was anxious to be received at the White House by President Harding. His Britannic Majesty's ambassador, Lord Harding, was most disturbed by this and protested to the State Department that Afghanistan was within the British sphere of influence and it was not appropriate for the White House to go around throwing official receptions for emissaries of that country as if it had the right to conduct foreign relations. The State Department agreed, pointing out that America was so uninterested in Afghanistan they didn't even have a file on the country. Lord Harding thought everything was hunky-dory, and then he woke up to find the newspapers full of photographs of President Harding receiving Princess Fatima, erroneously described as the Sultana of Afghanistan. The press accounts are full of puzzling details. Her Royal Highness was accompanied by someone styled the, quote, State Department Naval Liaison Officer, a position that does not appear to exist and by a second man representing himself as the Crown Prince of Egypt, even though he was no such thing. Princess Fatima herself, although perfectly fluent in English, having been educated in India and Britain, told President Harding she did not speak his language and insisted on talking to him through an interpreter, apparently to make herself seem more important. The State Department has now been forced to open a file on Afghanistan. Following Maxim Gorky's appeal to the world that millions of Russians could die because of crop failure, the US Secretary of Commerce, Herbert Hoover, has informed Mr Gorky that the American Relief Administration is willing to provide aid to help the Soviet Union through the famine, but on condition that the Bolsheviks release their American prisoners. In the United States, meanwhile, up to 10,000 are predicted by public health officials to die as the plague of Pellagra sweeps through the Cotton Belt states from East Texas to the Carolinas.
In the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, on the Trail of the Lonesome Pine, you may run into June and her bow carving their names, or you may run into four gentlemen on a camping trip. President Harding has taken a hike up into the Blue Ridge Mountains with three of America's most successful business innovators, Thomas Edison, Harvey Firestone and Henry Ford, because he wants to discuss his economic plans with them without everybody in Washington trying to listen in. Electric light bulbs, automobiles and the tyres they require, but what's next? Donald Douglas thought it would be the Douglas Cloudster, an aeroplane that could make non-stop flights coast to coast. Uh, but the Cloudster had to put down at Fort Bliss, Texas, just a month ago, and Mr. Douglas has lost interest in his baby and moved on to form the Douglas Company, offering a wider range of aircraft. Are you sick of bills for being sick? In Baltimore, Johns Hopkins University has announced that it will set maximum limits of $1,000 for a surgical operation and $35 per week for hospitalization. Does that include insulin? You don't know what insulin is? Well, that's because Dr. Frederick Banting and a team at the University of Toronto have just discovered it. It's a molecule that can control glucose metabolism. Dr. Banting extracted some from a healthy dog and inserted it into a diabetic dog, lowering his blood sugar by 40% within an hour. East side, west side, all around the town. The cots hang ring a rosy London Bridge is falling down, and there were boys and girls together. Me and Mamie Rourke, trips the light fantastic on the sidewalks of New York. Ah, but that was the old New York of the gay 90s. For the new New York, something different is needed. It was originally called Manhattan, no N, but Charles Sheila and Paul Strand's 10-minute film has just premiered at the Rialto under the title New York the Magnificent. Just 65 shots, beginning with the Staten Island Ferry and ending with sunset as seen from a skyscraper. But they tell the story of a great city in the 20th century. In sports news, the U.S. Open golf tournament has been won by Great Britain's Jim Barnes. President Harding was in attendance on the final day and afterwards presented Mr. Barnes with the championship cup and medal. At Ebbets Field, Pete Herman has beaten Joe Lynch on points in a rematch for the World Bantamweight Boxing Championship and thereby reclaimed the title that he lost to Mr. Lynch last December 26th, or as they say elsewhere, Boxing Day. And that's The Way of the World, July 1921. A hundred years from today A hundred years from today this is Mark Stein. Boy, do we have some top-notch vocalists for you on Stein's Song of the Week this week. From Dean Martin and Peggy Lee to Barbara Cartland and Henry Cooper. 
It started out as a song for valets and housemaids, but you can't get the staff these days, so it's been taken up by movie stars and hip saxophonists and 70s sitcom players. A great British song coming up on this week's Stein Song of the Week, Sunday afternoon at 5.30. And 5.30 London time is uh, 12.30 p.m. in New York, 9.30 a.m. on the West Coast in Vancouver and Los Angeles. So it's kind of a Sunday brunchy show in the Americas. Uh, nevertheless, I hope you'll tune in. Uh, Alyssa Angel writes, uh, When I heard that Simone Biles had stepped away from her events at the Olympics, my first thought was that she was paid to do so by the people who are developing mental health and mindfulness programs at places like Netflix, she would be a high-profile person to include in such a documentary, i.e. Uh, so-called documentary, because the events are manufactured, in order to sell the show. Maybe uh, she's honest in her self-disqualification and she truly can't handle the pressure, but shouldn't that be part of her training? In life, I say it is more important to step up to the plate and handle what comes at you than to avoid it. Trying to handle the triple flip whatchamacallit in front of a worldwide televised audience is better than not having tried at all. This is an opportunity lost for Ms. Biles. Long term, I suspect she'll regret this decision. The story could have been I was scared, but I conquered that fear. The story as it stands right now is I was scared, so I wrapped myself in bubble wrap and watched from the sidelines. Disclaimer, I think she may actually be able to compete in some of the individual events she qualified for, so maybe she'll still do those. Let's see what happens next. I say these events will be showcased in a future mindfulness program, and this is all part of the pre-planned show. I don't actually... Um, I don't claim... I have no interest in contemporary sports figures because I find them so graceless and charmless as a whole. There are individual exceptions to that, but they're relatively few. And and when you say... I, so I haven't really followed this thing. Um, I do think... <clears throat> uh, I do think that we make a bigger deal over the Olympics, for example, or any high-level sporting contest uh, than we did before the Second World War. I mean... If you go back to the early days of Wimbledon, for example, and you look at the early uh, English tennis champions, you know, on the big day, they'd have lunch at the Savoy. They'd have a haunch of venison or a rib steak or something. And then they'd uh, hop on the train down to Wimbledon and uh, play a five set tennis match. Wasn't a big deal uh, if you won. It wasn't uh, a big deal. And if you lost, it wasn't a big deal. It was a healthy attitude to sports. The thing about it is they were supposed to be sporting amateurs. People hadn't invested millions of dollars in their training and in their, uh, and, and, uh, and in their sponsorships and so on. So they were a different kind of animal. Now we have a strange thing. And so then when it became professionalized, they got, you know, less... Uh, graceful and less uh, charming. Um, but now we have an additional thing where somehow sports people are under the additional pressure of also having to know when they have to take a knee and all the... So there are non-sporting pressure. It's not just that people have invested millions in them and you've had no life because you've been training for this thing, training to make the Olympics all your life. 
And uh, and uh, there's now the additional thing about whether you're sufficiently woke to survive something blowing up on Twitter. I can understand why people... I don't think, just to go back to the business with Tucker in the fly shop, I don't think people know... Um, I'm, I'm occasionally asked why I spend... This came up the other day somewhere. Why I spend so much time in foreign, very foreign country, by which I mean non-English speaking. Well, that's because they tend to be places where... Uh, you know, television is not English language television isn't greatly watched, so you can have a normal, more or less normal time as you pass around. But otherwise, you've got to be on a hair trigger because you never know whether the guy approaching you is just some blowhard who wants to uh, mouth off, or whether he's actually anxious to plunge a knife into your chest. You just, you just don't know. So there are stresses. Uh, that uh, this young lady faces that other people don't face. And I don't doubt that's different. I miss the old days. I like I like charming, uh, graceful players who can reach a state of excellence without sacrificing all the other human qualities. Um, uh, I think I mentioned before my uh, respect for Monsieur Belliveau at the Montreal Canadiens, whom I had the pleasure of meeting uh, backstage at the forum a couple of times. One time when I was uh, trying to talk him into agreeing to become governor general, he would have made an, he had the dignity and bearing for a governor general. And I, I very much, there, there is something, there's something, we've, we've done something wrong. But as to whether she's making a great mistake, Alyssa, you don't know that. You know, who's the most influential uh, football player? Uh, it's Colin Kaepernick. He was crap as a football player, but his celebrity is such that he has managed to export knee-taking to countries he's never heard of. They're all taking a knee out on the far fringes of the map, so it depends... You know, I don't know. It depends what your priority is. Um, let's have uh, let's have a. Oh, Paul Cathy says war with China. GM and Ford dealers right now cannot sell trucks because those manufacturers cannot deliver those trucks because the computer chips necessary to complete them cannot be obtained from China. Yes, do, do they also make the chips for all our tanks and? Bombers, too. Uh, Paul Cathy also adds, a centre-right country, I'm reminded of Florence King's memorable line from what must be at least 10 or 12 years ago now. A country where a high school boy invites his boyfriend to the prom is not conservative. By the way, a high school boy invites his boyfriend to the prom at a supposedly Catholic high school. That's the way to, to look at that. I mentioned at the top of the show that it's 200 years since Generalissimo Saint Martin declared Peru's independence from Spain. So um, I thought I thought we should have some Peruvian music. Yeah, a little Peruvian music. Oh no. Don't tell me. I can feel it. This is gonna be that El Condor Passa thing. Is this the only Peruvian tune anyone knows? Well, all I can say is it better not have that dopey Paul Simon English lyric about rather being a sparrow than a snail and a hammer than a nail. Happy birthday, Peru. And take it away, one of my very favorite singers. L'amore come un condor scenderà 
deserto fiorirà tu verrai solo un bacio e poi mi lascerai chissà then I'd rather be a sparrow than a snail in Italian. That's lovely Giliola Cinquetti. Oh, uh, it's been uh, many years since I last ran into her, but I uh, hope to do so once more before my time on Earth is done. Giliola Cinquetti, El Condor Passer, the flight of the condor, straight into the wind turbines. If you're in the California desert on that road between Bakersfield and Palm Springs uh, that I used to do back when I'd occasionally be booked for an appearance in Palm Springs. The old Condor Cuisinarts that do such a lovely job of disfiguring and polluting the California desert. I'd rather be a sparrow than a snail, but no way do I want to be a Condor in Southern California. Tell you what, let us just... Uh, let's see if we can find uh, one more. Oh, here we go. One more question uh, from Peter. Mar- uh, Peter says, Mark, to the best of your knowledge, just how dependent on China is the modern West? Returning to the war scenario, if they did stop making aspirins, could nowhere in the West start producing it? Are there modern components that only China can make? And how would nuclear arms come into play? What is the future for the United States as a nuclear power if it is in decline, yet also has a large stockpile of nuclear weapons. Well, I don't really think the... Oh, and Peter says, uh, also just wanted to say, from the 90, that song from the 1968 Olympics was fun to hear and notably more genuinely upbeat than uh, what I would expect from any type of Olympic theme song today. Thank you for including that in today's show. Happy songs. We like happy songs. 
And that uh, Mexico, Long John Baldry song, that's a happy song. We don't have enough of that. You've got to stay happy. There's nothing else to make you happy. You're not going to be made happy by spoken words, so you've got to have some music that makes you happy. And most of the music today is just droney and miserable. So, uh, so that uh, Long John Baldry with his fantastic Tony McCauley production was just the ticket. Uh, the nuke stuff, you know, America hasn't nuked anybody in 75 years. And it didn't nuke anybody on 9-11. I mean, as far as I'm aware, uh, Colin Powell's deputy threatening General Musharraf in Pakistan with nukes is the only time the question was even raised in uh, the, the wake of 9-11. I mean, because, you know, they basically, a sovereign state, Afghanistan, conspired with a terrorist group to attack... Uh, the United States, and inflict massive civilian damage. And if you just left a smoking crater where Kandahar used to be, that might, that might have proved instructive even to those crazy guys. But so if you didn't do it then, I doubt very much whether there's... Because, <laughs> you know, uh, it will be accused of being a disproportionate response or whatever. Now, here's the question. You know... Can nowhere in the West start producing aspirin suddenly? It's been a long time. All these things have been gone a long time. And trying to tell people, you know, so we've become a crappy service economy where people are baristas and tour guides. And then if, you're, if you aspire to anything higher than a barista, you can sit in a cubicle and, you know, I'll send you a W7 and you send me a 1093 and we'll do that back and forth across the continent all day and kid ourselves that it's productive economic activity. We've been so long gone from serious, uh, from the, the, the idea that serious countries have to manufacture something. Uh, so to return it all, I think it would be very, the thing about it is it's not the cost. It would be entirely cheap to say everything that's made in China has got to be either made in uh, North America or Western Europe or in a country that's not actively hostile to us, such as India. But, you know, we're not even talking about that. We're not even talking about that. So when war comes, supposedly, it'll be a war where they're making it. You know, what you had to worry about in most situations in war, say, for example, when war broke out in September 1939, is that you'd get a... You, there's certain things you have to get from abroad, like certain foodstuffs and whatever, and uh, a, a country, uh, and, and you'd be blockaded so that stuff couldn't, couldn't get in. We've actually given the manufacture of just about everything to our strategic enemy. It is madness. Thank you for all your questions. We'll get to the ones we didn't get to in the days ahead. Uh, I will see you back here for the latest episode of our current tale for our time, Jack London's Burning Daylight, and back on the radio tomorrow. On 7, 8, 9 p.m. UK time for the Thursday rerun of Song of the Week. That is uh, 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And I'll be back on the telly in America with Tucker tomorrow night, Thursday. Stay safe, stay free.
Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.